Hello, my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And today, we finish off the prestigious International Cinema Month with one of the great international filmmakers. And I just want to say, this is shameful. I'm aware that it's shameful. We are ashamed. We wanted to take it easy. Look, seven-hour War and Peace, four-hour Touch of Zen, mm-hmm. all those Lars von Trier movies, it was time for Bruno Mattei. Yeah, let's pick something that's not painful to watch, question mark. I mean, these movies offer a different kind of challenge than some of those other movies. Mm. It's like, wait, have I seen this before? (laughs) And in the spirit of Bruno Mattei, this episode will be comprised entirely of stock footage from previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Just opinions we've shared, jokes we've shared, and not variations of, just cheaper imitations of the exact same thing. We're going to take whenever we did our George Romero episode, and we're going to dub in the words Bruno Mattei anytime we say George (laughs) Romero. Romero, you know, like that. When did you become aware of Bruno Mattei as a filmmaker? I definitely would have been in undergrad. Mm-hmm. I, I was not yet like obsessed with Italian horror movies at that time, but you know, I was getting my, my toes wet seeing some of the Fulci's, seeing some of the Argentos. Because any Italian exploitation fan eventually will come to the feet of Mr. Mattei. I think the first one I saw mm-hmm. was in maybe 10 years ago I saw Terminator 2 Shocking Dark at the Carlton, which was, you know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, so that was during the period when they were just showing DVDs at the Carlton. That's right. The Carlton Midnight Society, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll recall that. And I saw, I, yeah, I saw Terminator 2 Shocking Dark there, and I couldn't believe it i kind of liked it. Mm. it by the way it's more commonly known as shocking dark i like calling it terminator 2 shocking dark mm-hmm. it should really be called aliens meets terminator 2 <laughs> that's the thing you go into it and it's got this poster well actually the poster looks kind of like stone cold it's the, the it doesn't look like stone cold it is the exact stone cold poster with a little bit of cyborg with on a the little face. bit of arnold schwarzenegger and then you see the movie and sure it has some kind of terminator aesthetics but really it's it's an aliens ripoff mm-hmm. when did you first become aware of Bruno Mattei. When I picked up on Deep Discount, and this may be my first year of college at a probably a music world, Anchor Bay had these six packs of DVDs you could buy. They came in a box and it was just like a random assortment of like Elvira's movie right. and, you know, the film crew. Vamp. Yeah. And Hell of the Living Dead was in there. And I may have bought it because of Hell of the Living Dead because I was visiting zombiekeeper.com at that time and they're like, oh, this is one of the totemic ones. And I remember watching it and going, what the hell is this? It's filled with stock footage, a lot of it in slow motion, and music stolen from George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Now, the producers and director claim we licensed that music. Bullshit. Is that actually bullshit? Yeah. Goblin is credited in the credits. A lot of people are like, that's just complete nonsense. You know what? Someone may be writing a letter right now. I don't care. (laughs) But it continues the kind of theme of Bruno's work. I would say the first time I saw a Bruno Mattei movie, I was instantly in because the minute you look up Bruno Mattei's name on the internet, you'll see like, oh, he's like the nadir of the Italian horror cycle. He's the bottom of the barrel, the dregs, uh, the ultimate hack, the ultimate ripoff artist. Hey, I have some giallo filmmakers here that are getting a $40 Blu-rays of these undiscovered giallos (laughs) that they are the true dregs of this Italian output. That's right. I mean, it's really a tribute to Bruno Mattei that he even got that reputation when so many others have fallen by the wayside. I think probably just because he was incredibly prolific Mm -hmm. and that his movies have those enticing things that people are like, what is this? Well, first of all, these movies are catnip if you like this kind of thing. There are some, you're you're shaking your head. Well, catnip, you know, you give it to a cat and they're like, whoa, I'm so high. I love this. It's just these movies... They have some of the things. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure. Will out. keeps looking at me, and I'm like shaking I'm my tr- head. I'm trying to figure out a defense of Bruno Mattei that is in any way rational. He is a very base filmmaker, and he will give you the base thrills in the movies that he made in his prime period. But what I would also say is, in this prime period, there was an atmosphere in these movies. There was a vibe. 
that is distinct to Bruno Mattei. And you cannot defend him on the grounds of storytelling, Mm -mm. character development. He's not even like, you know, with Lucio Fulci, with a movie like The Beyond, you can talk about the dream logic. I think Lucio Fulci himself compared The Beyond to Antonin Artaud and that kind of assault on the audience. Yeah, you could say that Lucio Fulci maybe had a perspective on the movies that he was making. He was very critical, especially about other people's films. But Bruno Mattei... I mean, he's just going in there and he's doing what he thinks audiences want shamelessly. Oh, yeah. But there's also no flair there, which is (laughs) what people who are attracted to him enjoy. But I also love being in these movies. I'm sorry. I'm glad that you are. I love the atmosphere. I, I love there is a dreamy quality. In there these are movies. maybe one, two, or three Bruno Mattei films you could say that yeah, about. Maybe. And the other ones you're like, oh boy. Okay, okay. To me, there are okay, there are lots of different kinds of Bruno Mattei movies. There are some genuinely wretched ones that I don't want to watch. Of the ones that I do want to watch, there are there are a category of movies that have that dreamy weird ambiance mm. like shocking dark like rats night of terror yes and then there are the ones that are straight up kind of so bad it's good sort of movies like robo war like strike commando mm-hmm. and i like both those flavors so robo war came like in the late 80s and that's interesting because bruno Mattei did a bunch of movies like almost the same year mm-hmm. and he just had a certain level of money to play with and resources that i think like his strike commando films are really fun mm-hmm. robo war i would say it's less fun than strike commando it's fun in theory yeah, it's got fun stuff robo war is like the predator except it's a robot but i need to be clear here it is exactly the predator lines scenes structure what if predator was a robocop yes that's that's the idea but there's not even that much violence in it there's like a burnt corpse that they find there's some squibs well robo war is a movie that was meant to be like projected on the wall of a bar Mm -hmm. as part of bad movie night and then you can (laughs) kind of look up and then you can look down at your wings and you can talk and then you look back up that's how it's meant to be well when i was watching it on the pristine severin blu-ray i was thinking like this is not how this movie is supposed to be watched and they are like the people who elevated bruno Mattei. they've released almost all of his films at this point well no they haven't yeah well we'll talk about that a little bit and like you're supposed to watch these movies faded maybe like fourth generation was greek subtitles burnt into the bottom that's how you should watch these films i agree that when you watch them this clear it's kind of like Eh, it seems even cheaper. That dreaminess is lost a little bit to me. Okay, we'll get back to this because I feel like we're no closer to defining exactly what it is that makes Bruno Mateo worthy subject of consideration. But a little bit about his life. Not too colorful a life. He was born in 1931 in Rome. He grew up around the cinema. His father was the manager of an editing suite. He claims in his early years that he edited 100 movies. Well, Pro- Bruno, Probably not true. Bruno Mattei was famous for being a go-to editor guy, which is really funny when you watch the movies and you're like, oh, this is the master editor at work <laughs> putting stuff together. But like, he would do a lot of those like... Django meets Sartana movies where they would take, you know, footage from a bunch of different movies to make a whole new package and put it out. Basically, Bruno was a guy that like had no shame and he's like, what do you want me to do? I will do it. And he's one of an elite category of Italian exploitation filmmakers. Joe D'Amato, his old friend Claudio Fargasso is another one. Well, Claudio Fargasso and Bruno are fairly inseparable in that all the like famous movies they made together i think they share co-directing credits right but these are a particular particular contingent of directors and in fact lucio fulci falls in this category too of like in the 70s and 80s they followed whatever the trends were this was what the italian exploitation industry was notorious for so if non-sploitation movies were popular or if for example when pasolini made his trilogy of life like the canterbury tales and those films all these guys made canterbury tales type movies that were just like softcore porn now did you explore at any point the sex films of bruno Mattei? no okay uh, i have explored the sex films of some of these guys yeah but not don't you him. want the dreamy you know feel but bruno Mattei's behind the camera giving you the goods 
I'll tell you, my journey with Bruno Mattei will be a lifelong one. <laughs> I will get to those films. Mm -hmm. Severin's going to release them eventually, right? They're running out of the genre films to put out. Now nah, they'll just put out Hell of the Living Dead again in 8K and <laughs> yeah. 12K. And hey, hey, hey. Severin doesn't own Hell of the Living Dead. Blue Underground does, and they will absolutely put it out in 8K. But yeah, so every couple of years, every year, in, there would be some big international hit. Mad Max would come out. Caligula would come out. Yeah, Dawn Bruno Mattei made a Caligula yeah, movie. Swear to God. Dawn of the Dead, obviously a real trend-setting one. And these Italian filmmakers would make their their own versions. Conan the Barbarian would lead to Ator, the Fighting Eagle. Well, I mean, Bruno Mattei also made one of those with Lou Ferrigno. It is so boring. <laughs> like, like, Luigi Cozzi made his Hercules movies. They are like Speed Racer compared to the Bruno Mattei version. So when you follow Bruno Mattei's filmography... Every one of them is, you know, it's just hitting on whatever the trends of the day are. He started in comedies, as so many of those Italian guys did. And and that is the vast gray matter of or dark matter of Italian exploitation cinema, like the Lucio Fulci comedies, like who knows, untranslatable. But then he moves on to, you know, he had a Mondo movie. He had Laura Gemser, the famous Black Emmanuel, you know, some like women in prison films with her, some Nazi exploitation movies, whatever, whatever the trend was. And then eventually in the 80s, you know, you look at the letterboxed filmographies of all of these Italian guys and the, the, they're all sorted by popularity. And you'll find that for every single one of them, it goes the most popular ones are the horror films, then the sort of like giallo type films. And then it's like the sex films. And then it's the comedies, and then it's the TV movies they made in the 90s. That's yeah. the order of popularity. I mean, one thing you can give Bruno Mattei is he lasted longer than almost any of the other guys, directing oh, yeah. basically up until his death. I'm looking at his top films. Zombie 3, Night of the Zombies, Rat's Night of Terror, Cruel Jaws, a.k.a. Jaws 5. They're still banned. Still banned because of copyright infringement. Universal, what are you doing? And well, I mean, he did use footage from Jaws. Universal, what are you doing? <laughs> and then we have a lot of films that he co directed with Claudio Fargasso. Now, this is the thing about the Bruno Claudio kind of partnership. I think Claudio Fargasso, as a filmmaker, is more fun. If you people listening don't know who Claudio Fargasso is, he directed Troll 2. That's right. And that he has a vibe to his movies, that those feel beamed in from another planet. And they're consistent throughout all of his pictures. So if I have to choose between the two directors, and, yeah. re and remember, if you're following along at home... The, the Italian film industry is in a slump at this point, particularly the, the exploitation films. As the 80s go on, the market keeps drying up. Theatrical exhibition around the world keeps drying up. The budgets keep shrinking. Great filmmakers like Shio Fulci are having more and more trouble. And like these guys, Claudio Fergasso and Bruno Mattei, too many represent kind of the death knells of this genre. Mm -hmm. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you disagree. They're lifting it up. Well, I'm not saying they're lifting it up. Maybe they are the death knells. I, I just kind of like them. They're but dragging it, it down as it's pulled into the grave. But they're giving me just a little bit of flavor that mm -hmm. I like. And mm -hmm. if I have to choose between these two, I'm going with Bruno. Wow. I, I like them both, but mm -hmm. I don't know. There's some, Bruno, again, it comes down to this intangible thing known as vibe. Mm. But I just think that like Bruno at his purest it's just so kind of static in its presentation that I want to fall more into it, but I just don't, even though mm -hmm. I do have a soft spot for Rat's Night of Terror. Okay, well, let's talk about this one, because this and Hell, Hell of the Living Dead are the two, mm. the two best known, I hesitate to say best, I don't know what you would call best, Yeah, but they're the best known ones. Rat's Night of Terror is a... Mad Max exploitation movie meets a zombie exploitation movie, but the zombies are rats. Yeah. It's set over 200 years in the future after the atomic bomb has destroyed most of the earth. And there is a band of survivors. There are two kinds of survivors. There are those who live on the surface and those who live underground. I like how you're doing all this setup as if like, as ah, if it matters. This, this, this spanning epic tale. Listen, a bunch of guys dressed like Mad Max rejects end up in a warehouse for 90 minutes. That's the movie. Oh, that's not just the movie because they're, so they're in this warehouse. And by the way, I think it starts with 11 characters. They all suck. I hate yeah. them all. No, no None charisma. Of it no personality of these people. And they're all fighting. Yeah. And the movie has two kinds of scares. One of them is there's a body and they turn it over and they're like, ah! 
and it has makeup. And the other one, my favorite one, even though that eh, I, w- I would not want this to happen today, is someone goes, as a bucket of rats are poured on them. I, I love it. Those are the two kinds of scares in this movie. And you see them over and over and over again. Well, rats are very creepy. Yes. There are some, well, there are some good scenes. Like, for example, when there's the guy who his it, it, there's the corpse where his whole body is like filled with rats and it explodes. I know you were going to go to that explodes. one. Explodes. Of course I was going to because that's, that's the, the most, only one. That's the big thing in this movie. <laughs> no, no, no. This movie has the greatest ending of all time. Oh, that, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It has a Planet of the Apes style <laughs> ending where the surviving humans go, oh, we just wanted to find some friends, people in gas masks. You're our friends, aren't you? Guy takes off the gas mask. It's a giant rat. A planet where rats evolve from men. Cut to an awkward, like, couple of seconds on the woman's face and she goes ah! rats night of terror so do you think there's anything to my theory and me you know me saying these movies have a dreamlike ambiance like that's a real get out of jail free card <laughs> yeah. for a lot of bad filmmaking i admit mm-hmm. and yet i love i love this movie i lo- okay i don't love it i like this movie i love being in it yeah i think that rats night of terror out of all of them that he's made maybe hell of the living dead as well has that kind of like Nothing is happening, but the movie's going on, and it's in that magic place where Italian film is at a level where there is a competency that is present in whatever image you see, but here, nothing else is left to support it, so it's almost like waiting for Godot, where like (laughs) nothing is happening until suddenly a bucket of rats gets poured on someone. And it has the things that movies like this always have, where the dialogue, it was shot without sound, and the dialogue is all post-synchronized, so it has that kind of disconnect quality. The makeup effects, which are cheap but like just good enough just good enough yeah so they're in that kind of uncanny valley and the music yeah i think is great director of fatal frames one of the cursed 90s giallos and the thing about the relation of the music and the image in this movie is it doesn't the music does not actually correspond with the image it doesn't like just playing it's just playing so it just creates this like unpleasant atmosphere that you soak in for a long time now we both watched night killer as well even though aha it's not technically a bruno Mattei movie so yeah what's the story behind this one (laughs) the story goes that claudio fargasso directed what he wanted to be a like hitchcock like psychological thriller Mission accomplished. And then they got Bruno Mattei to come shoot a bunch of kills where the killer's one move is punching through the victims as if they're just like made of paper or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a peculiar movie. I didn't I had never seen this one before. I'd seen the DVD box a lot. Because mm, it's like a Freddy Krueger style face. Not, not just a Freddy Krueger style face. It, it looks exactly like Freddy Krueger. It's because the killer in this movie is wearing a Freddy Krueger mask. To which I say, that's pretty cheap. <laughs> like, to, I, to, 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 to just, just steal the Freddy Krueger design. But I think this film, and I'm going to give it to Claudio Fargasso, has so many weird things that you don't really get in Bruno Mattei. Because he's just giving you, you know, your liver and onions. That's true. Well, what's weird about this movie is, so it's a mad slasher movie with a woman who's like the survivor of an attack. Who she does, like many women do, will just take off her shirt and play with her breasts in front of the mirror. Yeah, yeah, that that does happen. What's notable about this movie, as with all of Claudio Fergasso's American set movies, is the, the acting is horrendous. So most of it is sync sound, too. Yes. Which is, oh, mwah, love so, it. Yeah, so if you've seen Troll 2, you know what to expect. But this movie, I think, maybe even more than Troll 2... <laughs> Like everybody is two eleven, yeah, and it's just this incredibly like stylized like community theater, just like like Claudio clearly likes that because it's present in all of his movies. Yeah, and I really think people make fun of the actors in these movies, but I don't think you can blame them. This is this is Claudio's decision. Yeah, you can see him being like more, 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 more or put an intonation on this word. It's like, really? That's what you, all right. Yeah. And now Bruno came in and did the gore scenes in this supposedly, which is the killer going and punching through people. You know what? They're fine. Mm-hmm. They're gory. There's a very funny shot looking through a fish tank where there's waves going. Oh, and like, I love there's that. A, there's some art right there. Mm-hmm. That's the shooting through a fireplace of Bruno Mattei. Yeah. But other than that, like, I think this is the one that if someone had a bad movie, I would reach for this one because it'll give them all the kind of inconsistencies and why did you make that decision? Where Bruno Mattei, again, it's just like, hey, you like Predator? Well, Robo War, it's like Predator, but not as good. 
I need to talk about this because something that I find so fascinating about these filmmakers who rip off just whole cloth, what is their intent? Is it that the scenes were so good in the original movie that if they recreate them, they can get the same kind of emotional response from the audience? Because that is bananas. You know, it's odd because some of these movies do feel like a kind of auto-translated version mm-hmm. of an American movie. Or <laughs> The guy throws the knife. Don't move. Like, it's like they seem right. like quite literally auto translated <laughs> yeah. at times. But it's it's like if you took one of those big American blockbusters and fed it through some sort of dream machine, you get this. And it's hard to tell if they're like, we want to get that exact effect, or if or if they're like, this is popular. That's why we're doing. It. That can be the only reason. Yeah, but but okay. But the other thing is, as you say about Robo War, it's two different kinds of movies or or like shocking dark or rast night of terror there are a couple of different popular movies at the time that are just like fed into a machine and it, it's one wants to be a fly on the wall during the script conference of being like exactly what proportion of mad max do we put in this movie and mm. what proportion of dawn of the dead what audience reaction do they expect though like do they well ex- i think a lot of them probably just expected to like sell to territory yeah because yeah, they have art and scenes that the, were popular in previous films. yeah and like these guys go to the Cannes film festival every year and they're like here's a poster here's a premise how many pre-sales can we get mm. but then i i do think there is some level of passion in these films but why like in something like shocking dark is the like there's a character that looks exactly like ripley Mm -hmm. like exactly like that's almost a level of obsession that makes no sense which i actually appreciate yeah i so i i this is kind of what i love about these movies is that they are the dream versions of these american blockbusters Mm -hmm. the fact that he chose to get somebody who looks exactly like ripley and then has all these other elements that are sort of like mutated versions of other movies yeah again the saying dream like i get is a, a piss poor excuse for the way these movies are but they are dreamlike see the argument against that I'll give you the dreamlike is I find them kind of dull like when I sit there and watch even Robo War yeah because it's redoing Predator a film that you know, I like, but I've complained. There's a lot of walking in the jungle. So it's mm-hmm. like, what if there was the more walking, but with more uncharismatic people? Well, I can't, I can't deny that because yeah. Rat's Night of Terror, which I, I do like for its atmosphere and for its images and all that. Yeah, a, a story would be nice. <laughs> Something. <laughs> you know, a character to hang your hat on mm-hmm. would be nice. And I am, I realize being very forgiving of some of these movies just because they give me certain things I don't get anywhere else. Mm, at this point in time. Yeah, exactly. But it's also like, you know, maybe it's kind of like, I want the worst possible junk food. Because like, you could watch Dawn of the Dead instead of watching Hell Living Dead. You could watch Luto Fulci Zombie instead of Hell Living Dead. But sometimes you're just like, I just want to watch Hell Living Dead. That's right. And I because, because it's $60 so for this 4K. <laughs> so you, when we talked about doing this episode, you mentioned to me, you were looking at his filmography and you said, I've seen almost all of these. Yeah. How did that happen? I think it's just like, Someone would say like, oh, you got to see this one. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll check it out. And then eventually, though, that Bruno stuff, I was like, no, thank you. Like, push it away. <laughs> then Severin will put out the Strike Commandos. And I actually got both of them. They're very fun. Right. And they have Strike Commandos are Rambo exploitation movies. Yeah. And they have Reb Brown in it, who's really funny. Reb Brown, who is the star of the MST3K classic Space Mutiny. Mm-hmm. There's like and a he scene. does his yelling. And yeah. All that. Like, yeah. The entire way through the movie. And there's just like a level of, you know, exploitation explosions and gore going on they're like ah yes this is fun yeah while you know when you go further in though like i i start to drop off like i didn't see the other hell the non-sploitation film because mm-hmm. i have no interest in non-sploitation in the first place mm-hmm. <laughs> the bruno Mattei version of that or even something like violence in a woman's prison i haven't seen that one either i've seen that and it's it's pretty despicable obviously but again violence in a women's prison even that i can kind of I can, a dream like logic I, 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 actually though because there is something about the this combination of elements that gives a mood that i can't get anywhere but i'd else. reach for like a jess franco before i'd reach for the yeah. bruno Mattei version of it well okay maybe now would be a good time to talk about because you mentioned bruno Mattei lived or survived in the industry longer than most of these guys and by the 2000s the people who grew up with these movies the people who you know were fangoria or like shock cinema readers growing up eventually were like hey let's help out bruno Mattei. let's let's us 
finance a Bruno Mattei movie. Or two Bruno Mattei movies. Because in the mid-2000s, right when he was on the doors of death, Bruno Mattei made two straight-to-video zombie movies, Island of the Living Dead, I believe it was, and Zombies the Beginning, which we watched. Yeah, so Zombie the Beginning is a sequel to Island of the Living Dead. Right, which completely contradicts the first film, by the way, does it not? Yeah, it, it doesn't matter because all that matters is that Zombie the Beginning is the one that we watched because you will not believe it is a scene for scene remake of aliens again. <laughs> yeah. So I could tell you the plot. It's aliens with zombies. Well, yeah, like it opens with this this woman. It was shot in the Philippines and it opens with this woman being saved from a raft. And then she goes to a monastery and then they pull her out. And they're like, hey, you have to help us. Uh, we need to go back to the zombie island with a bunch of commandos. And they go to the zombie island and then there is about like. After that, like 70 minutes of laser tag ass filmmaking <laughs> where where you're just you're just in this, yeah, laser tag room where zombies are coming out and they're being shot. I will say, so I go into this with rock bottom expectations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially like it looks like a soap opera and when, the, when it starts and you've got that shot on video look or shot on like primitive digital and those digital fucking credits show up my heart like, my heart sinks it's like oh bruno but, but then you get tons of zombies tens of practical gore like the gore hounds that are watching this they just want to see zombie head explode right well there are a lot of italian horror movies that do not give you the goods well so dario argento later on in his career kind of rebelled against what made him popular that he was like i don't want to do this anymore like colored lighting all that stuff like i want to kind of move into a different lane and people were like what is this like this is not like you don't got anything else go back to your olden days bruno none of that pretension he's like this is what they want this is what i'll give them yeah and i do like that this movie doesn't really wink Mm -mm. it's not like a i don't think bruno can wink no it's not like a birdemic 2 kind of thing it is basically just him doing what he did in the 80s again on a lower budget but also more of it and it's gross too it is gross some of the gore effects are very imaginative yeah there's like a little person with like eyes growing out of his head i mean that that was not I, that was the one part of the movie where i was like looking at it like wait how did they do that yeah or at the end there's probably unfortunately some naked children with monster makeup on them or you know there's the woman the pregnant woman yeah they do the zombie three which bruno worked on where a zombie pop out of the woman's pregnant belly blood everywhere lots of guts Mm -hmm. lots of stuff like that i mean what i don't like about it is of course it's in that primitive digital thing where this movie does not have the dreamlike ambiance i would argue maybe it does i would say that his camera his his vision is consistent with what it was in the 80s with all the smoke and the fog and the the particular lighting scheme his mise-en-scene is much the same it's an uglier looking movie yeah than some of those earlier but ones. can't that be beautiful in its own way I mean, he's not Michael Mann. You know? <laughs> well, maybe some people are going to come to his defense in that way. I, I'm saying this is friendly criticisms because I had more fun with Zombies the Beginning than I expected to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, when an Italian horror guy in the 2000s is making a shot on digital movie, again, Ugh. rock bottom expectations. Now, but, but I, this one moves. It's I, got stuff in it. Tons of gore. It wraps up with a bunch of blink and you'll miss it stock explosions from other movies the best compliment i can give this movie is if you if you just randomly find this movie on tubi yeah which of course is where i watched it and you didn't know anything about bruno but you were like i want a bad zombie movie to watch you would have a bad zombie movie you would have fun at your bad zombie party with this movie so i mean zombie the beginning what's great about it is that it's completely flummoxing for anyone who knows bruno Mattei, being like why is he doing this again but also for people just stumbling upon it they'll be like i can't believe they ripped off aliens that's hilarious Mm -hmm. so it works on both levels in that way a perfect film is what i'm trying to say and watching it yeah it's like it's like you're the protagonist of last year at marion bad you know you're just i've been here before haven't i exactly so you know looking at the life cycle of bruno Mattei's career there's something there's a poetry to it it's like he's an exploitation guy a ripoff artist who went through every popular genre until after exhausting himself, after the whole industry falling apart underneath him, he was left with ripping off one last thing, which was himself. Now, what's great about Bruno is that supposedly while shooting Zombies the Beginning or one of those movies, an actor walked by Bruno's hotel and saw that he was watching The Predator or Aliens and taking notes. And that is 
Wow. wow. Like 20 years later, <laughs> yeah. you know? It, I, I gotta get it perfect. It's like Hong Sang Soo, you know? Yeah. You're just going through the themes over and over again until you, you reach that nirvana. I also like at a certain age, he was on the cutting edge at one point. He was following the trends. And then at a certain point, he ossified and mm. was like, okay, after 1989, I don't look at any new movies anymore. Uh, uh, I will say there's some shots near the end of the film that I went, wait, is Bruno trying to do Lord of the Rings? Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. they do the like monster over the heroine. Mm. I mean, very poorly. <laughs> and yeah. isn't that the Bruno way at the end of the day? So what do you think, folks? Have we sold you on Bruno Mattei? <laughs> Listen, Severin, they put out all the films. Go, go. Go pick them up. Yeah. So do we have any letters, Justin? We do have letters. As per usual, you can send us letters at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com. And our first letter is from Andrew Merrithew. And he goes, greetings, brothers and or sisters in important cinema. I've been a longtime devotee to the Golden Ninja video line. Thank you very much. But only really got into the podcast during a recent bout of unemployment. Fun stuff. Wow. Golden Ninja video people. How lucky that you got fired or laid off then. (laughs) We're sorry for your loss. Hopefully you go and get a better job. But I never thought there would be Golden Ninja video fans that are not important Cinema Club listeners. Because I feel like it goes hand in hand. And like Golden Ninja video was sort of conceived. Only for the listeners of important cinema at the very beginning yeah yeah. anyway i'm writing because of the recent gnv release of king of the bullwhip you also had bernard b ray's silver bullet on the release so for people that don't know on the release of king of the bullwhip that we did which is a poverty row western from the 1950s it took way longer than i thought i was going to and in the process i ended up including five other poverty row western movies Mm. as a bonus feature and i tried to pick them very carefully and i came along this guy bernard b ray silver bullet and i was like there's something a little bit there as the letter writer writes here you position that he may be a poverty road director worth looking into it was too tempting to pass up i have now watched all 24 of his currently Whoa. available films <laughs> wow well unemployment will do that but no that fucking rocks that this inspired somebody to seek out a Poverty Row auteur of their own. Like that has been completely forgotten. Yeah, so I would love to know more about this. What a ride. From his directorial debut as studio head at Reliable Pictures, I got to dive into the absolute depths of Poverty Row and the people he collaborated with. Ira Webb, one of the rare women directors of Poverty Row Westerns. Dick Talmadge, German stuntmare extraordinaire. Rin Tin Tin Jr., the Bruce Lai of Rin Tin exploitation. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm so delighted to hear that (laughs) but it was in his prc work that i found what i was looking for law of the timber an unclaimed poverty row gold nugget also a rare case of someone working their way up to a prc budget and going maximalist with it rather than minimalist so now that i feel like a character from le siege de l'alcazar i have to ask has my cinephilia mastized into a terminal case of cinemania sorry i had to rave about bb ray to someone and no one else even has the slightest clue who he is. Thanks, Drew. No, no brother, welcome. Wow. This, this is, is this is the dream. Yeah. That I'd be like, this one movie that I watched, I watched none of his other movies. I was yeah. like, there's something there. Maybe for further, and someone's like, I'm going all in. Now, I did look at his reviews, and there's a lot of like three stars, two and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's not good. But if you find one out of all those, and you're like, this is a solid gold classic, and I believe he's the only one who reviewed it on Letterboxd, too. So he's like, first man on the moon in this situation. No, I love this. And this gets me excited about this director. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Listen, all that weeks I spent reading books and going through like the B movie director encyclopedia <laughs> finally paid off. I'm really glad you were able to discover it and now I, I mean we're legally obliged to watch this film did i check is it just on youtube of course it is very easily <laughs> accessible where all those poverty row films are unwanted unloved <laughs> our next letter is from jay and they go hello justin and will i'm a young screenwriter from new york city wow the big apple wait that's if you the can big make apple it, if you can make it there you can make it anywhere i heard who recently became a patreon subscriber chapter one he adored <laughs> new york city <laughs> I discovered the important cinema club a week after graduating from my small liberal arts college. That post-grad period was the most challenging time of my life, and I went through a deep, depressive state. 
However, I would start most of my days by making it through your episodes while on long walks, as it was the most entertaining, educational, and inspiring distraction that helped remind me of what I truly love and find beautiful in life. Wow. wow thank you. My God. Your guys' creative passion. I feel like Mr. Holland look, <laughs> look, looking at his opus. I mean, that other guy, too. Watch all those I know. Bobby Rowe films. I know. It's like the symphony I was composing all these years. That wasn't my opus. It was the students. Your you guys' know? creative passion is un paralleled and has surely helped more people than you know out of situations like mine although you are respectively a writer and a filmmaker in your own time thank you i'd like to remind you both of your work on this podcast as an influence greater than you might wake up every day and tell yourselves consciously wow. if icc has one fan it is me if icc has no fans that means i'm dead well i hope that doesn't happen <laughs> anyway now that i've gotten through all your episodes and heard your opinions on the likes of kevin smith's on behalf of your Gen Z fans, you've spoken about him enough. <laughs> All right. Well, that's not true. We will constantly be banging the Kevin Smith drum. So I, I respect the point. Yep. I take the criticism. One of those like, yeah, to be there. But but this is therapy for us, yes. too. You have to understand, we don't talk about him just for you. We talk about him for us. We talk about him off mic all the time, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> And Hong Kong action cinema. I must admit, it has baffled me that you have not covered some of my favorite auteurs as In Order of Shock, Harmony Kareen, Ruben Osland, Milos mm. Foreman, Derek C. in France, and even the Safdie brothers. I'm most interested in your guys' thoughts about Kareen's iconic alternative filmography. And although I am aware of Will's Letterbox review of Triangle of Sadness, I feel that Austin's back-to-back -back palm doors cannot be ignored. So Austin, I would need to watch The Circle again. Mm -hmm. That's what it's called, right? Or is it The Square? The Square. Right. Well, that first... I think the, isn't The Circle the movie that was directed by the guy who did Run, Lola, Run? Tom, is Tom Hanks in that one? Yeah. Tom Tyker? Tom, Tom Tyker, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Force Majeure was pretty funny. Yeah, Force Majeure is funny. I like that one. Yeah, and uh, as for the other filmmakers, I mean, Harmony Corinne... We talked about a little bit during this year's TIFF because Agro Drift was out. I like Harmony Corinne for the most part. I, some of those movies, I mean, The Beach Bum, I think is hilarious. Oh, I love The Beach Bum. Yeah. What I like about Harmony Corinne is that he's obviously a bit of a prankster, obviously a bit of a provocateur, as his production company is named, an edgelord. <laughs> but I, I do think there's a sincere of desire to find beauty in his films mm. his idea of beauty which is often laced with a little bit of irony but nevertheless you know when he was publicizing agro drift he kept saying like i don't really care if other people like this i just wanted to make a movie that was beautiful to me and he was half joking when he said that but i think he's also yeah, he means ser it. serious and I, I like that i think at his best he kind of gets you on board with finding beautiful things that you might not normally find beautiful and now it's time for me to also have a passionate defense of milo's foreman <laughs> i mean uh, you know with milo's foreman, fireman's ball so yeah that's the thing i haven't really seen those earlier yeah. ones like fireman's ball i've seen most of the american ones yeah when he was in like biopic land i and, mean i like the people versus larry flint it's okay. Amadeus is good. And we both love Man on the Moon, right? I mean, right? I mean I'll tell you, some of those comedy routines are pretty funny. I liked them better when Andy Coffin was doing them. <laughs> what? But he was doing them because Jim Carrey. Oh, well, right. Andy, Andy, channeled came, Andy. Andy came back. Yeah. That's right. And once One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's one I never reach for, though. It's... I also think, like, when you're comparing it to, like, some of those, there's something a little pandering about One Fool Hair? of the Cuckoo's Nest. He also directed Hair. I've never seen that one. Starring Treat Williams. Well, My favorite sold. treat. The letter continues, thank you for the many hours of companionship. Y'all are my ro Robin Wood for real. Wow. Best regards, Jai. Sorry if I mispronounced your name at the beginning, Jai, because he put a little pronunciation guide at the end of this letter. Sorry. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We're going to do all those filmmakers. Those are all like, but it, maybe not Ruben Oslin, but I kind of want to do it now. Like Tackle was like, he's the big, important filmmaker who yeah, almost got too big. And well, and also like, what does it mean? Like, why did he get two Palm Doors in a yeah. row? Like, because there's something about his brand of satire. I mean, it's a, it's a maybe too glib point to say that it's like he makes these like barbed social satires that also get loved by juries and international film festivals and like what does that mean they're like yes we are like that ha ha ha, ha, ha. thank you for pointing out all of our flaws yeah yeah and, and then it's like it's like okay then what makes those movies safe to mm. win those awards i don't know like obviously i'm coming with a chip on my shoulder and i would try not to if we did the episode so i have one more letter here we're, we're continuing the praise parade thank with... you let tell me tell 
me how we've changed lives. You guys helped Godzilla reignite my kids' love of movies. Wow. Wow, hey, Godzilla did all the work. Yeah. Hey, Will and Justin. Exhausting neoliberal parenting involves a lot of guilt about how much screen time your kid gets. It got so much worse than he, now five, was able to choose what he wanted to watch. 5,000 viewings proves My Neighbor Totoro is a perfect film. YouTube cartoons have lowered the bar so far they make my 80s cartoons look like Miyazaki. <laughs> the worst part is the dopamine density. They're designed to be maximally attention-grabbing every second. I got so sad when he started to refuse movies in general. Then his friend showed him a clip of a recent Godzilla, and he was fascinated. My only experience was trying to MST3K Mothra with my friends in high school. Googling which is best for kids led me to Megalon. My MST3K experience was just the movie parts. My friend who taped them cut everything else. When that climactic slide happened, my son and I shared a moment of pure cinematic joy. For context, that's the scene in Godzilla vs. Megalon where Godzilla slides across the landscape on his tail and kicks Megalon in the stomach. That OG Godzilla fans for decades were like, that's the worst thing that ever happened in a Godzilla movie. But what if it was the the best? best. (laughs) And the letter continues... We couldn't stop laughing, but there wasn't a trace of so bad it's good. A whole new level of ridiculous without any ridicule. We kept looking at each other to check in that it actually happened. We were entering a new world and learning the extent to which we didn't know the rules. I don't think I felt that way since I was 15 and first saw Eraserhead. (laughs) When that dinner scene happened, it wasn't just that it was stranger or more ridiculous than anything I'd ever seen. It opened up a whole new category of strange that I didn't know existed. To quote Grant Morrison, someone I'd love to here discussed on the very fine comic book podcast well i don't know what that is right well <laughs> wait are you doing other podcasts <laughs> the letter continues like it was coming from a direction you can't point to sure godzilla versus megalon is an eraser head but discovering it with your kid is mm. i'm so happy it's godzilla because unlike the youtube stuff it's mostly delayed gratification sitting through the boring human parts for me they're the perfect antidote to the current mainstream these people with very little time and money created these suits and cities with their hands and people are obsessed over them a half a century later so i was very scared he'd be scared off he has a strict threshold that's where you guys came in your 200th episode has been the perfect guide he was fascinated by a picture of king Ghidorah. your review let me know he could handle it and that we should also watch invasion of the astro monsters we love the dance now we're seven <laughs> movies in six on your recommendation and going strong this year for halloween he said i can be king Ghidorah because he doesn't have any arms I thought, oh, that's why King Ghidorah doesn't have arms. And wow, that's your most abstract motor planning to date. (laughs) This has gone really so long, so I won't explain what motor planning is, just that the technical name for it is Praxis. So not only did you help my son rediscover cinema, you helped him do Praxis, did the dad thing and included a photo. He loves Jet Jaguar. Is Ultraman worth it? Thanks so much, John. And I'll just show Will the photo. That's a good King Ghidorah costume that was made for... it really is good, yeah. It looks like they got snakes and they use those as the arms and they use like a gold material to just be over the kid's body. Yeah, really cool. Is is man worth it? I say yes. Absolutely. Come on, I mean, it it was literally designed for kids. Yeah. And that like, it's very accessible as well in English dub. I believe it's all on Tubi or maybe another service because I think Shout Factory Mm -hmm. is the one that releases Ultraman stuff so yeah check out a few episodes if you like you know Megalon or that era of Godzilla oh man those Ultraman episodes you'll be able to watch them and the best thing about this is if your kid just watches the same thing over and over again there is so much Ultraman to watch you you will never be able to run that well dry I think it's cool though that the people watching Godzilla movies now kind of understand that it's not so bad it's good Mm -hmm. and that it's actually a sort of like I don't know it's crazy when people were talking about a movie like Godzilla versus Megalon back in the day. It's like Godzilla literally like gives an okay sign with his hand in that movie, or he's like doing Muhammad Ali fisticuffs. It's like, they obviously think it's funny. Yeah. You know? And, and they obviously know it looks like a man in a rubber suit. And yet you'd read all those reviews from back then that are like, it looks like a guy in a rubber suit. It's like, yeah, they know. Yeah. Like, come on guys. Yeah. Well, it's finally, I think getting that kind of, understanding like you said and also even a level of respect Mm. thanks to like the new japanese one is being released almost day and day like a couple months after it came out in japan Mm. in north america which 
I don't think has ever happened with any Godzilla film, has no, it? Maybe Shin Godzilla. That came out months, months, months later. Really? Only okay. once. And this one is going to play regularly for like a couple weeks. So yeah. like that Godzilla, and that probably has something to do with the fact that, you know, those, whether you like them or not, those like monster Hollywood Godzilla movies right. are, has brought him back in the conversation and not in a way of like, ah, he's a joke. Well, you know what's good about those recent Hollywood Godzilla movies is that they're obviously made by people who also like the character. Yeah. Like when the Matthew Broderick one was made in the 90s oh they hated godzilla yeah and they just turned it into jurassic park and they would always say like dean devlin and roland emmerich would say in interviews it's like we want to we want to do for godzilla kind of what tim burton did for batman you know make it something make, make it something real i remember know? when fred decker was writing a godzilla movie that never got made he was like well we're not gonna have like the you know the big dumb lizard it's gonna be more of a james bond film something yeah, serious right. and it's like i love fred decker's movie but that's a perspective that a lot of people had at, at that period of time and it's there, there's racism in there <laughs> and i don't feel the need to justify that <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, what are we doing on a patreon this week will we're going to be talking about movies that we've watched lately this is one of our monthly traditions now where we have a little bit of a jam session about stuff we've been watching that we haven't talked about anywhere else mm -hmm. do i have that many movies considering i got married this months no but i'll do my best yeah we'll, we'll figure something out but here's the thing this is a chance to have some parasocial time mm -hmm. with justin and me like i've said many times pause it at any moment talk pretend i agree guys pretend you're the third guy in the room maybe say some things that you've watched <laughs> yeah and then we'll leave some pauses and we go yeah that's cool yeah and then go back to what we're talking about okay all right so we did our international month now it's time to sell out it's time for big Denver. Big Denver is when we do big, big movies, big franchises, things you've heard of. That's the theme for this month. Mm, no, I want, none of this Bruno Matei shit. Get that. That's too get mainstream. Get him out of here. <laughs> so we want to do movies that you look at that and you're like, I know what that is. <laughs> That's what we're doing in December. And we're not doing it just cynically. Well, yeah. Well, we are. Because we want more Patreon subscribers. Let's do that. So we're going to give them free episodes mm -hmm. to get more Patreon subscribers. Yeah, but they're like, this is so good. They're talking about these movies I've heard a million other podcasts talk about before, but in such an insightful way, I will give them $5 a month. Okay. Well, foolproof business strategy. Yep. I want to get to $8.50. We're at eight. 13 i think at i the think moment. we can do it yeah as my brother would say justin you pick goals that are too high no i feel we have five thousand regular listeners about right yeah. now yeah sometimes more yeah so let's do it let's get in there and you know what these big denver movies we'll get more big, on these ones big denver okay yeah. and what is bigger denver mm -hmm. what's a bigger thing than star wars that's right we're going to be talking about the original trilogy yeah a new hope the empire strikes back so four five six return of the jedi mm -hmm. don't it don't get bigger nope they do not get bigger than that i feel like we touched upon this earlier in an episode doesn't matter we're gonna come in with fresh thoughts i have not watched these movies in probably a decade like sat down and watched them from end to end boy when's the last time you watched them i actually watched return of the jedi kind of recently because i got i got a great bootleg oh, the you know what that's the ones i'm gonna watch i'm gonna watch the grindhouse version not not the grindhouse versions where they add like weird blood and stuff like no, that no, no. but the raw scans that are floating around Justin and i both got yeah this awesome like bootleg blu-ray set where they just took 35 millimeter prints of the original series before the special edition mm -hmm. you know you got sprocket holes and you got scratches and stuff looking like they did in the 70s and i think i think they make it better because it grounds star wars in its time yeah and it's also just a movie that yeah. was out yeah it was, this is what it looked like yeah it wasn't it wasn't part of a disney mega bucks franchise yeah mm -hmm. it was at the same theater that was playing i don't know that elliot gould movie where he boxes a kangaroo you know whatever <laughs> yeah. else came out in the I 70s mean, that sounds good <laughs> matilda it was called uh oh I, I, in my head you know what i did just now i went into the filing cabinets that said random uncategorized <laughs> 70s movies and i pulled that one you're out you're like someone on the movies that made me mentioned it once yeah. back in the day so that's what we're doing. Star Wars, the original trilogy. It's going to be 10 episodes. We're going beat by beat, maybe even minute by minute. No one's ever done that before, right? Luke, I am your father. Let's Wait, do it. Wait, spoiler alert. Oh, oh no. you didn't say who it was. So right. I'm about to discover it myself. That's what we're doing next week. And until then, my name's Justin Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. I would like to thank... Al Masiciar, Jevin Gordon, Gabe Steller, Jack Bedis, and Justin Burning for becoming patrons. We could not keep doing it without you. 
Speaking of George Lucas, have you been seeing the stuff going around with 4K upgrades lately? Only peripherally. That, like, the American graffiti looks like it was AI oh. upscaled, and, like, whole signs are just, like, a block of color on oh, the yeah. in the transfer. Yeah, so is this... This isn't just limited to George Lucas's movies, though, is no, it? No, Steven Spielberg's Duel was AI remastered. I know, that one specifically. Maybe, you know, American graffiti, George Lucas was like, yeah, make it look like that, going over and over again but like the ai remastered duel and it looks like shit in uh, yeah. the tv version i believe i mean increasingly my favorite thing is when you can get like you can find a torrent of a 35 millimeter scan you know you can just find the abyss or a movie like that mm -hmm. from a, an original print well james cameron recently announced that like they're finally all his movies are coming to high definition for the first time ever and i'm like what are they gonna look like though i mean the thing about him is like he actually cares how they look yeah he does he, he also has like fairly good taste in how they look I, but aesthetically do you think that you know what they were looking like back then it will be reflected or will he kind of you know try to bring it up to modern taste i think he probably will which i think is a tragedy because yeah. like i think it's very important to see movies looking like like they belong to a time like mm -hmm. they belong to a context and one of the filmmakers who people are always like one of his stuff coming to hd is peter jackson mm -hmm. and remember when he said oh we're working on a 4k of dead alive and i'm like get that out of here i know what that's gonna look like well peter jackson is like the king of four 4k ai upscaling mm -hmm. and stuff uh, did we talk about that hilarious beatles music video that he made did you see that yeah i saw <laughs> it like that's the work though of a man untethered from anyone going that looks bad man i don't yeah. think you want to do that right it's too bad because i mean his documentary the beat the get back documentary was was great I yeah thought. well i would have preferred it if they had released it in an un ai upscaled version i agree but like that's a guy that i guess you reach a certain age and you just you know lose it i guess yeah. that you're either in a bubble or this technology you're so you know pixel peaking that you can't tell what aesthetically looks good anymore and that <laughs> makes me sad yeah like yeah. if you look at the original hobbit movies I say the original Hobbit movies as if there's more than one version that like he went, Oh, we did this all with makeup effects. And then we covered it up in CG. So we could give it an unnatural feel and you don't see the human underneath. And you're like, it looks bad though. Well, maybe he's, maybe he's like Michael Mann or maybe, or an even better example. Maybe he's like Edvard Munch, you know, Edvard Munch. Yeah. You know, like or one of those classic painters, you know, maybe he's JMW Turner, just a few steps ahead of us. Mm, that's right. We're just going to catch up and we're going to be right. like, Oh, he saw the future. Yeah. And we just, just didn't like ang lee did with 120 frames per second right, right? yeah gemini man and stuff <laughs> by the way you saw billy lynn's long halftime walk in a theater right i did indeed were you the one who told me that there's a close-up shot of steve martin's face absolutely that... where you're like ah! like we were <laughs> laughing so hard when it happened it's so close and it was in 3d so like his nose was coming out at you <laughs> ang lee swore he would never not shoot a film at 120 I, frames per second listen if steve martin's nose was that close to me i'd give him a big wait old, you didn't do give your, him a big old smooch your cinephile like duty and go and see billy lynn's halftime walk i wanted to but it was out after two after two i was gonna see it the third week but that 4k version was gone i didn't even make the connection that peter jackson shot those hobbit films in that high frame rate high frame rate yeah, yeah. but it, didn't james cameron he's like i'm gonna do this too and then like those movies came out everyone hated them and he went back on it was like oh, just select scenes that's how we're making the avatar films now i did see gemini man in a theater with, oh, it, with its high frame rate i did too yeah and i enjoyed the experience only because it's like it's by, hideous so by the time i saw it it had already flopped and so i was like okay this this is not an immediate threat to cinema yet <laughs> so you know i can kind of enjoy yeah i can just kind of enjoy looking at it beep 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 beep, beep. oh we have a looney tunes update oh, we yeah? like to talk about this did you not see recently that warner brothers is like yeah looney tunes is coming off of max all of them oh but then on. a couple days later they're like oh, oh we're sorry we're sorry they're staying they're staying you know th steven spielberg is picking up the phone i feel i think any t it's funny that anytime they try to get rid of a looney tunes related property there is an uproar like with the recent coyote versus acme movie like they could delete anything else that they want but they're going off of the like you know the big things that people know and that's why there's an outcry. Well, and also, like, yeah, Looney Tunes is one of the things that everyone loves. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves Looney Everybody Tunes. Everybody loves them. And it's also synonymous with the Warner Brothers brand. Yeah. And they need to understand that. How 
are they so bad at this? They're like, dude, let's delete the Looney Tunes. Yeah. Now, I remember reading somewhere that they have like a wild tax scheme that one of the reasons it was going to be taken off is that like they're licensing it to themselves. Oh, my God. So they have to pay it. So that like, you know, tax related reasons. Jesus Christ. You know what I have to say is. You're rich enough. All the people at the top, go live on an island somewhere. You don't need this. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they have these tax schemes. And meanwhile, David Zaslav is making like 50 bajillion, bajillion dollars, dollars a year. Yeah, <laughs> yep. You yeah, have yes, enough yeah. money, don't you? Not the important cinema club, though. We don't have enough. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah, so become a Patreon subscriber now.